Debbie, welcome to the Learning and Development Podcast. Thank you. Thank you very much. Great to be here. Um, now, first things first, how are you in the context of coronavirus, lockdown, and now easing of, uh, of restrictions? Um, it, uh, I found myself going from um, my family home with my, my two sort of nine and ten-year-old boys who were nicely at school with a, a husband that was out at work as a teacher, um, commuting to London and back every week to being trapped at home <laughs> with all of them, <laughs> which um, has been fun. And um, I think that probably the only thing that they've gained over the last six or seven weeks is, is about 10 levels on Fortnite and Minecraft. But um, <laughs> it, it's, yeah, it's been an experience and one that hopefully we'll look back on with some fondness um, and some de absolute desire to get back to some normality. But um, it's, mm. it's been an interesting but, but not unpleasant experience. Oh, that's good. I think, yeah, yeah you're right. We'll, uh, we'll look back and hopefully uh, in the not too distant future, uh, and uh, and see as you say this as a, as a, as a landmark event, but uh, but no damage done. No damage done. <laughs> Absolutely, I'm, I'm sure they'll go back to school and pick it up as um, you know as as easily as they left it. Mm. Um, now, Debbie, I'm not going to lie. I'm a skeptic when it comes to games and learning because I've seen far too many bad examples that can I say more of a distraction than a help? Um, is it just me or is there a problem in L&D and its perception of game-based learning? No, it's not just you. I'm a huge skeptic as well. Um, I've seen things done incredibly badly um, over the years and you know the gamification you know it sits currently in the trough of disillusionment if you look at any of the Gartner's curves etc so mm. I don't think there's so much a problem of um, games in L&D necessarily I think what you've got is you've got expectations on consumers learners players however you want to call them that the mm. disparity between what you get served up in a learning and development environment as a game or a gamified learning experience is so vastly different to what people are used to seeing um mm. we're kind of in 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 learning game terms we're still in the pong era you know we really mm. are where where things are are very basic or they're they're you know, they're not user-centric, they're not learner-centric, they're not even game-centric, which, you know, which mm. is quite the worry. So um, the, the temptation when you see a sort of commercial off-the-shelf off game learning product is to rush and get it because it's different and it'll give our learners something new, it'll give our learners something exciting. Well, actually, mm. it won't because unless it's a AAA game, um, then people are, are just going to look at it and think, well, you know, that was that was rubbish yeah. and you won't have achieved either any learning you won't have achieved business outcomes and you won't have achieved any really fun gameplay and mm. sort of chucking a few leaderboards at something or um, expecting people to uh, accept a mini quiz as um, a game element within a school package or within a learning object is you know it's just not going to cut it really so mm. I, I do genuinely share your skepticism and, um, you know, it's been something that I, I fight against daily. Mm. Uh, my my scepticism isn't just born from uh, from within L&D. I joined Disney in 2006. And at the time, the games um, division of, uh, of Disney, certainly in, uh, in Europe, was outsourced to uh, um, to third parties. 
Um, during the first couple of years or so, that was brought in-house because whilst um, Angry Birds and, uh, and other games uh, gained prominence and, of course, and a huge amount of revenue, Disney <laughs> was behind the curve. So they brought yeah. it in-house and thought, right, we're going we're gonna to build some games. Uh, a few years later, it was outsourced again and Disney still didn't have a hit. So you can think with the might of Disney behind it, um, you, it's still really, really hard to build a game that can gain any kind of traction. And we're just talking about um, the um, popularity of a game, not yeah. not, not necessarily the um, uh, the, the purpose of uh, of, of game based learning. Uh, so, so my skepticism is born is born from experience, yeah, no. not of wanting to build a learning game and successfully have launched one. It's for in the in the realities of. It's just really hard. It is really hard. And, and, and who knows what people are going to want today, tomorrow, um, or at some point in the future. And, and one of the things that, that I did quite a lot when I was working at Plymouth University with the games team there and the, and the, sort of the students coming through, you know, when we would, we would see 30 to 70 students, um, a term that, that had each had individual ideas for games, each using different formats. So, you know, mm. potential indie developers of games, all with new, cool, creative, interesting things that we're never ever going to see the light of day because, you know, knowing what the consumer wants today and tomorrow is, you know, it's a black art, really. Mm. Um, you know, there are some things that you can do and, and do well in games, and there are some, some great games that have kind of used traditional tropes that you know have that longevity so but the, again they tend to be games which are you know which are iterative so that they listen really hard to their user base they mm. you know they take um a lot of direction from expert players so those players who play at the top end of the game who are genuinely interested in games in general um mm. and so those people feedback into the game you know wouldn't it, it would be so much better if this monster did this or it would be so much more interesting if this this npc was part of this and and they genuinely listen to their to their players who mm. quite often have far more experience than the devs sat behind the keyboard you know i mean that that's where my passion for games comes from you know i was playing and learning the algorithms to pac-man when i was eight. Oh, really so, yeah yeah so, i mean you know one of my I, i've always been interested in games always mm. I, I am at heart a gamer so um you know a great deal of my time is spent out of work playing lots of different types of games i've got you know thousands in my steam library i play play probably two to three hours per day every day mm. so you know knowing what works and knowing what doesn't work um as, as a expert user is is something that, that's really really important and listening to those people is really important um now debbie i'm going to um quiz you in a bit on yeah, yeah. Uh, on uh, some of uh, some of your approach and its application uh, in learning but uh, some of us uh, like myself uh, took a, an interest in uh, in learning um uh, basic in the in the 1980s uh, and having a, having a <laughs> yeah. zx spectrum 48k oh, yes. i'm with you um, there. i was a i was a i was a keen gamer back then but um but for many of us that interest tails off i mean where 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 did you go from there being a keen keen gamer who quite liked to look under the the hood of games as a uh, as a child to to where you are now what's what um what's your progress been i i followed two i've got two real passions i guess one of them is learning and, mm. and one of them is gaming so for me the everything i've ever done in learning i've always tried to bring a game type element into it or have tried to use elements of learning from games and i think at the time um certainly back when i started sort of 
professionally working in, in learning, which is over 20 years ago now, um, I didn't even realize I was doing it. It was really unconscious. And um, I came back to university fairly late in life. So I was almost 40 by the time I actually did my degree and I did an education theory degree. And mm. it was really fascinating for me to go through that degree process and thinking, oh, my God, that's why I do that. Oh, that's interesting. I never knew that I did that because of that, you know, that particular theory. So kind of the what the degree allowed me to do was to understand that a lot of the things that I'd been doing and combining and melding together um, actually had a solid theoretical base, <laughs> you know, which I think, you know, whenever you do a degree in your life, it's um, it's great for for having those those kind of aha moments where you think mm. right now I know I've been doing that and I know it's worked and it's been very successful uh, or it hasn't worked and I didn't know why it didn't work and and having that kind of really solid theoretical base to to actually knit all that together was was kind of really helpful so I, yeah sorry no I was, I was going to uh, just going to ask then so so how how did you go from there into to, to where you are now um so I've been in um, kind of alternative education. So I'd, I'd been doing a lot of things um, with young people and adults outside of the formal education and formal training um, sort of environment for, for quite a long time and been in sort of deploying a lot of these these tactics and, you know, quite sort of having some really interesting and really successful projects um, based on experiential learning and based on sort of gameplay and, and doing things differently. And um, when I was doing my degree, I got offered the opportunity to come and work with Plymouth University on their digital arts and technologies course, which also had a game course that was running alongside it. And one of the things that they were interested in was um, my experience in entrepreneurship. So turning um, projects or products into small businesses. So I got invited to come and lecture on the, the entrepreneurship modules on both of those courses. Um, and, and it was because I was doing the degree in education theory and I was talking about the business end of games and digital arts and, and those sorts of things. Um, for me, it, it just sparked a, a really keen interest in how all of these things sort of knitted together. So where do you go with business objectives and how do you make business objectives fun and interesting? And then what is it that's happening new in the games field? Um, and what are they doing over there? And, and, and how can you then sort of develop this into a learning product? And you know, I was looking at um, virtual reality. I was looking at augmented reality. I was looking at mini games. I was looking at all different things. And all those points in time, although the courses weren't set up to develop learning games, all the time that I was watching these really bright young students sort of develop these, these cool products and these cool cool games I was thinking how could we make that into learning how could we mm. how could how could that influence um how could that particular game mechanic influence how somebody learns and and how is it that in games we are able to teach people how to play the game really effectively so what learning theories do game makers use to advance players skills and advance players knowledge within games so it was it was just this I've got this real weird curious brain that that likes to try and figure out these connections um and i just spent a lot of time thinking about the overlaps between all of those three over a period of about four or five years mm. and then sort of moved outside of the the university back into um a learning design company where i was asked to come and put some of that thinking to to the test and see whether or not there were opportunities for businesses to advance 
business aims and objectives and learning aims and objectives through the use of, of game and game technology. Now, I imagine there are pitfalls to this as well, though, Debbie. And mm -hmm. I can imagine that uh, that once stakeholders are familiar with your work, you get a lot of requests to build a game. What What's your approach then from uh, from from a request like that? I one of my pet hates is is being brought a project and being told that this is a game because mm. nine times out of ten, or I would say probably actually even ninety nine times out of a hundred, it won't be. Um, mm. There are. You need to get back to the business objectives. What business problem are you trying to solve? And mm. until you really understand that or that the, the client or the, the customer understands what it is they're trying to fix, not only what it is they're trying to fix, but what was the problem in the first place and how do they know that's a problem? You yeah. know, what evidence, what data have you got to support that's a problem? And, and then, okay, so you, you've identified it's a problem. You've validated that with learners, with you know, business partners, with your market. Then what is it? What does success look like? Tell me what mm. success looks like in five years' time. What is it that you want your learners to be doing differently? Where do you want the business to have moved? Where do you want your consumers, your customers to be doing differently as a result of that? So I kind of need to have that um, that that real base starting point and the the imagineering. So what what does good actually look like? What what will you be sat there doing in five years' time? So mm -hmm. coming to me and telling me that you need a game to move you from A to B, um, most times I'll say no. Let, talk to me about A and, and talk to me about B. And so what is it about that journey that you think would make a game the, the right solution? Um, and then most times I will convince them that it probably isn't. Um, or if it is, then it will only ever be part of a blended solution. Um, and in every single case of me recommending or producing a game, it's always been part of a blended solution, always. Mm. Never, games are not a silver bullet, unless you've got millions and millions and millions of pounds and you've got a user base that, that goes into the hundreds of thousands globally, then you know, a serious game is usually not the silver bullet you're looking for. Mm. Well, all um, you need to do is, uh, is transfer the word game and training and you've got the yep. perennial problem of, uh, of learning and development where yep. um, stakeholders already come to you with the solution because they've already sold it to their team. They've already yep. said, hey, would you like some training for that? Or I think we should get some training. And so it's almost the, uh, the icing on the cake then to go and speak to the learning team and request said training. And in yep. this case, it is, uh, it is said game. Now, you, men you mentioned data there. Uh, and um, on a previous episode of the podcast with Trish Yule, she mentioned that um, learning and development have been uh, familiar with summative data um, for, for quite some time. Uh, uh, we're looking back and asking the questions, did our intervention work? But there's always been something missing around formative data, yeah. which is what is it? What is the problem, the specific problem that we're seeking to solve? How do we know it's a problem and how will we know when it's resolved? It yeah. seems bonkers, really. I mean, uh, that, uh, <laughs> but, but I think that we've been in the solution business and the language, the language around um, what we do and what we what we um, provide uh, kind of gives clues when we, when we say we have an offering when we have a provision and all of this stuff it's kind of it kind of suggests that we've just got this library that we can wheel out and there's loads in here we're bound to have something so we've invested in all of this stuff but but going back to the to your point um, uh, around data um, what types what type of data um, is it that you're looking for and can you give us any examples yeah 
Certainly. Um, the, the data I'm looking for, as I sort of refer back to, to what I said earlier, is how do I know that there's a problem? So mm. show me, prove to me. I, I need you to prove to me that there is a problem. Are your sales low? Are your people making mistakes? What mm. evidence do you have to substantiate that, that that's an issue? And then I want to have a look at that problem and see whether or not learning is even the solution to it. Because quite often it won't even be learning that's a solution to it. It'll be um, new structures and processes. It'll be, mm. um, you know, it'll be sort of staffing changes, or it'll be a piece of new technology, or, or something like that. So I I need to understand first where the issue is and, and the data that there is to to prove that there's a problem, and then I need to have a look at that data really with a fine tooth comb and see where there are sort of knowledge, skills, or or obstacles. So you know, what are each of those elements of that problem that you show me? And if if they're the things that people don't know, then that's something that perhaps learning can intervene on. If there are mm. skills that people don't have and they need, again, that's perhaps something that, that a learning program or a training program or, or something could, you know, could have an impact on. If there are obstacles, then those are things that the business needs to address um, before we even start to look at what, you know, whether or not learning or training um, or even you know, going as far as a game-based training is, is something that's, that's even relevant for that. So, yeah. um, I always kind of have a, a design for success kind of approach. Um, so look at this, you know, this the clear rationale. So why why are we looking at learning? Is learning mm. absolutely the right thing? Um, and what can we do if it is the right thing to design in some some real innovation? So how can we deal with that problem in a way which is innovative, which is interesting, which is is different, which is going to help move the, the learner from from one place to another. Um, and then, you know, defining that the the sort of those clear, really, really clear learning outcomes. What do you want people to do differently as mm. a result of this? And how do you articulate that using business data? How do you articulate that using learner behavior? How do you articulate that using um, data from the actual solution? So, you know, looking at game metrics, telemetrics, those kind of things. And, and what is it about the, that data that, that gives you that picture? So uh, I do a lot of hypothesis testing Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, I, I will kind of look at that and that, that picture that I've kind of created where we've decided that, you know, that the business has an issue. It's been able to prove that there's an issue. Here are the, the metrics and the data behind that. And so my what are my assumptions when I'm looking at the solution? And my assumptions are X, Y and Z. And then I will go through an iterative design process and test all of those hypotheses to, to ensure that, you know, the problem is you know, is as it says it is, because quite mm. often, you know, data is only part of that picture. Um, so it's most of my time and my thinking is done in that that upfront part of it. And mm. it's only at that point when I've really identified what the, the learning of, you know, learning outcomes are, um, that I will start looking at the solution. And that's that's key to it. You've uh, you've you've mentioned there that uh, that uh, 
data in itself um, can be open to interpretation and misinterpretation. Yeah. So it's the evidence that backs that up, which is uh, what is the experience of the people that you're seeking to influence yeah. uh, that helps to, to bring that to life. And you mentioned there that you do all of this work up front, which is so different from the traditional learning needs analysis, uh, whereby you're, you're looking for clues to recognize which programs to apply to said problems. Uh, and learning, I keep I keep on saying the same thing on this podcast. Uh, but the misalignment of uh, of L and D and the business is usually in that very first conversation when a true performance challenge or situation is skewed into a learning need, yeah. which 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 is then aggregated um, based on others' needs before standardised solutions are brought down, and so. You know, this is why we get people on programs who look and say, I don't know why I'm here because, <laughs> why, it's, because they don't recognize. <laughs> yeah, they don't recognize <laughs> the performance need against the solution. Um, so so, uh, so I'm completely with you there. The, uh, the, the amount of upfront work is, uh, is critical. Uh, and then you mentioned um, uh, that you experiment. What, yeah. what, what, what are you experimenting with? Um, so if, if, I, if we accept the fact that the data is there and we accept the fact that a game has been identified as a potential solution, then I will paper prototype that. So I will have a look at that particular training need. And as I've said previously, that um, games are ever, only ever really used as a part of a blended solution. So what I will look at is what type of game mechanic or what type of um, game intervention would be a good solution for that identified problem. Mm. Um, and then I'll just, I will test it and I will test it in a very, very basic form with post-it notes. I'll get a group of people around the table and I'll say to you, right, if we did this and we did that and we did that and we followed this algorithm. So I tend to think in, in patterns and, and, you know, that's probably one of the reasons why I love things like Pac-Man because I was able to learn the algorithm really quickly and get really high scores. So I tend to, <laughs> tend to think of things in that way. So, you know, how, how is that, that flow? What, what does that flow look like? What, what does the player do? And then I let people, do it and then I watch them mm. and you know I say actually they didn't do what I thought they were going to do they went off in a completely different direction mm. so there's all of that user testing all that user acceptance testing and then stopping yourself at, at even particularly at a, you know, at a particularly early point and you know they just didn't do what I thought they were going to do at that point yeah. you know I you know all the theories all the data says that at that point they should have done that but they didn't so okay back to the drawing board so i haven't even at this point done anything as far as writing up a spec i'm literally with post-it notes with an idea with some hypothesis about some theories that i've had and some games that i've played or some learning that i've seen or something that i've read and, I, and i've just trialed it out and we just keep going through that process until people and and the you know the potential users or or i've had a chance to read something else or listen to something else and and to find you know an intervention for the, the reason why people did that or i've gone back to the drawing board again and come up with a new type of prototype so there, there's an awful lot of of thinking so by the time you even get to the point where you put you know pen to paper it's not pen to paper these days you start, start typing something down in word you've already got a really good core game loop um so something where you know that people aren't falling off they're not getting trapped in a hole they're not you know not w wondering why they're there that they've understood that they've that they've got it and that you've watched and you've seen the smiles um mm. you know watching for people smiling um is something that that i that i really like doing i look like 
I love that enthusiasm when people are going through that process and they get to the aha moment or they get to the, the point where they go, yeah, this, this, yeah, this has really helped. I didn't mm. understand this and now I do. So, you know, I'm, I'm consistently looking for those types of, of um, behaviors in, in this sort of really intense sort of pre-test period. Mm. You've reminded me of, uh, of something I read from Seth Godin once, uh, and it was in the context of uh, creating a, a digital business or a digital platform. Uh, and many years ago, um, I, uh, I, was, I was doing my research and being inspired because I, I had a great idea too. But Seth Godin, <laughs> and, and, and I was willing to spend an enormous amount of money on a great big uh, build it and they will come platform. Yeah. Uh, Seth Godin uh, said, and this was before I put any money into it, said, if you can't make it work with a, pen, a pencil yep. and paper, you won't make it work. And no. I thought, no, you're wrong there. Because <laughs> if I make this pretty enough and alluring yeah, enough, no. <laughs> then, 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 then people will come. And, and you know what, uh, Debbie, this is, this is a, again, it's a, a, a problem with learning and development that if we, if we make this great big bet, and we try to solve everyone's problems without fully understanding what the actual problems are, yeah. then it will be successful. Said launch will be uh, a great success and it will solve a hell of a lot of problems. But what you've just reinforced there is if you can't make this work without spending that money and, you know, with, yeah. with just, just, just experimenting with, uh, with, with the bare minimum, the chances are it's not going to work. Is that fair? That's completely fair. And, you know, people need to get the mechanic. They need to learn on paper first. If you aren't, aren't teaching people when you've got them together in a room, face to face, you know, hands down when you have that one on one and, and they still don't get it, then how on earth are you going to, how on earth are people going to get it when it's dispersed? They've got no support. They've got, um, you know, they've, they've got a platform that they're just let loose with you know if, if it requires that much explanation and you're you're face to face then it's already failed so you know people need to to be able to to move through that flow in a in a really um intuitive natural you know, natural progression um that's mm. something that feels right something that that gives them pleasure something that makes them want to explore further so it, it's it's so important you cannot miss that phase out Mm. And, and and how do you connect their need to the game element? That, that's, you know, that's one of the most difficult things. And I, I think where m most people go wrong is in this particular element. Um, mm. You know, I've, I've looked around and I'm sure lots of people in the L&D world have looked around at Silver Bullet Solutions where, you know, they, they you know, sign up, get 100 licenses, go through this click next game, which looks pretty, but is literally a branch scenario set in a in a game world and everything will be fine um what you actually need to do is you need to have a really good understanding of game mechanics so yeah. uh, as i said earlier games do a really good job of teaching people how to play their own games so there are certain tools and tricks and methods that games use particularly in some of your bigger games so mm -hmm. you know your AAA games or your your role-playing games or your your mmos your multiplayer online games where they use really clear scaffolding, really clear sign pointing, um, really clear skills progression that, that, that a lot of stuff is locked behind um, sort of skill barriers and things like that. So um, what you you really need to do is to determine the, the tiny, tiny bit that you want to focus on 
Mm. And then you need to look at what that bit actually represents. Now, I think it's easier to give you a, an, an example of something that I did, perhaps, yeah. um, which sets it in the learning the learning context, which is if you look at um, GDPR, when GDPR came in, there were a multitude of ways in which people were going to be forced to learn these new things. The key issue for most companies, though, wasn't that they needed everybody to remember what date GDPR came in on and how much, you know, how much impact it was going to have and you know what the company was going to have to do to maintain these these new regulations it was breach prevention they wanted mm. to stop people who were on the front lines sending stupid emails or giving out information that they shouldn't give so when i was looking at designing a game for for gdpr it what i didn't try and do was fit all of the gdpr learning into a gdpr game so there was yeah. you know there it would have been either a massive expensive game or it would have been completely ineffective because people would have just you know been dished up with more and more on screen text mm. um so what i did was i looked at i thought right if if the main issue for companies is going to be breach prevention i.e they don't want to spend 20 percent of their global turnover or you know 20 million on you know somebody who picked up the phone who's on minimum wage who all of a sudden just gives away you know somebody's data then mm. breach prevention is the need so what they want and that will be the need for the the majority of companies for the majority of the bulk training that they're going to do so there will always be specialized stuff but the majority of the companies just want people not to make stupid mistakes and to be consistent and to understand that these things constitute those mistakes so yeah. I, I built a game mechanic which you know, in in games is is a very common one it's a, a straightforward repetition so you know there's nothing clever about it it's a well tried and tested so is this correct is this not correct is this correct is this not correct so is is this the type of information i should give away or is this the type of information i should not give away and present enough of those so that people on the front lines who may or may not come across a data issue every day in their life came across 60, 70, 80, 100 over the course of the game. So if, if I'm on a phone and I'm somebody's asking, you know, can you give me that person's email? That may be the one and only time in a period of my employment that I ever get asked that. So if I've not practiced that, if I've not, if I'm not sure how to deal with that, then then that puts me as as an individual in a, in a place of nervousness and a place of uncertainty. But building a game which literally served up hundreds of these and made people decide yes or no, yes or no, yes or no, embedded that into their brain so that they couldn't progress through the game unless they could demonstrate real competence in understanding what was positive, you know, what was good data that they could share and what was bad data that they couldn't share. So it gave them that safe space to practice. It gave them the opportunity to fail, and for the, that failure not to cost twenty million, it meant that they didn't get three stars. You know, so mm. so that mechanic worked particularly well for that one particular need. Um, so that and that's what I always look for. What is it as part of that tiny piece of massive training around GDPR? What was it that was the key issue, and how could a game mechanic solve and support the need? Um, to, to help somebody you know not make that really crucial business mistake hmm. and um, 
Debbie, how do you measure the effectiveness of your work? Would you say that it is in the successful completion of a game, the successful identification of, say, uh, those uh, those data breaches, or do you hold yourself accountable for, in real life, there being fewer or no data breaches? I, th I think what you're always aiming for is you're trying to solve a business problem. So yeah. therefore, the outcome should always be business related. You know, it's great to be able to say I've had 200,000 people go through a game and they've all done really well. But if they're still turning out, you know, they're still <laughs> costing you 20 million a time every time they make a mistake, then you haven't achieved your objective. Yeah. You know, so I would always want to be measured and I would always design my measurements based on the business problem I was trying to solve. And therefore, what do my outcomes look like? You know, do, do did that piece of imagineering that I did with the business owners um, come to fruition? Did it? Did we get close? Did we? Did we not get anywhere at all? And in which point do we say, you know, that we need to stop this because this is actually having a detrimental effect? So measurement is not just about what happens when people finish the game. Measurement mm -hmm. is about continually going back and revisiting, looking at that data that you set up at the very beginning, um, and and saying, well, you know, we've had. 100,000 people go through this game, but we're still at, you know, 16% breaches. You know, that, that's, you know, we need to look again. We need to think again. So, you know, if you're using data to measure success, it should always be based on how successful that need, that business need has been fulfilled. Mm. And so, again, it goes back to that upfront conversation yeah. about understanding the performance context, um, uh, doing enough investigation to recognize that there is actually a real problem and it isn't just um, through minimal observation or uh, from somebody else's gut feeling um, yeah. that uh, that something needs to be done or simply because they want to entertain a team yeah, sorry, uh, they or create make it a surface fun. level problem. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, I hate that um, so much. That's one of my absolute pet hates is that you know we'll, we'll make it a game because that'll be fun. Inevitably, it won't be. It'll just no. be something that wastes people's time and irritates them and puts them off game learning. You know, game learning is incredibly effective, incredibly mm. effective, done well. Um, but unfortunately, I don't see a lot of it. No, same here. Um, but in your experience, Debbie, what are games good for uh, in the, the work setting and what are they not good for? Um, they are not a silver bullet. Absolutely, hmm. fundamentally not. There is, if anybody is trying to tell you that their game will fix all of your woes, then they're lying. It's it's hmm. as it's as simple as that. They won't. Games help with specific needs, and games um, help in a really targeted way. Yes, they can be entertaining, and I would always advocate for an entertaining game. I think if you're going to spend the money to um, train a large body of people, which again is the only reason I would advocate using a game, is when you have a dispersed global audience and you have a, you know a quorum of people that that could not be trained in any other way. So if mm. if games are going to be effective, it needs to be on mass. It needs to be something that's distributed. It needs to be preferably asynchronous. Um, so it needs to be something that people can pick up, they can do, and that the, the measurements that you've got will, you know, the data that you get will be able to help and support that. Although synchronous campaigns are actually really, really effective with, with game learning. Um, and you need to invest in ensuring that the game is of good quality. Even if the mechanic you're using is incredibly simple, you know, we, we just sort of jokingly said, make it look great and people will come, but it's really important to, to focus on that small 
element of learning, but packaged in a way which feels premium. Um, yeah. So a badly designed game doesn't, it, it won't necessarily detract from the ability of the game to do its job, but a, a well-designed game will certainly enhance that. Um, you'll get uh, word of mouth, you'll get people talking about it, you'll get people enthusiastic about it, you may get people going looking for other things that they can learn as a result, it will spark curiosity. Um, you know, so having invested in a core game mechanic to solve a core business problem, don't skimp on what it looks like and how it plays. Mm. Because if you're going to serve up a game to somebody, they're going to have high expectations. And what I would advocate for is small needs analysis, solid learning theory, and solid game mechanic theory, mm. and a high level of design and and playability so it doesn't take four hours to load you're not haven't got screens chocker of text that you you're not click nexting you're not having to scroll mm. you're you know and that you're using bings and bongs and and prizes and gamification and leaderboards in a way that's appropriate to the learning if you mm. if you use them at all i tend not to use leaderboards um but you know that, that's a personal choice and i'm uh, i'm What's your rationale behind that? Because I know leaderboards are, are pretty popular in uh, in learning and development. They are um, helping people to position them. I mean, okay. So if I'm advocating for um, globally dispersed and large groups, which is where games are most effective, then having a leaderboard where you've got twenty thousand people on it, it matters not whether you're not you know nineteen thousandth and nine hundred eighty fourth. You know, it, mm. it does not produce that level of incentivization for people to crawl up from the bottom up it actually just de-incentivizes de de them I think that's the word um, and so I guess in the context that I'm talking about leaderboards are not a great way of, of helping people to progress through the game so I tend to use individual metrics within games or mm. um, team metrics so looking at things like if you're um, if your scores or you're answering things that, that you were better than yesterday, that you got more rewards than yesterday, that you got a gold award. So things that are more achievement, personally achievement based rather than pitting people against each other. I mean, we're, we're getting people to learn here. There is no best learner. We just want people mm. to learn and the business to change. So I, I don't really see the need for that on a globally dispersed basis. What what I'm hearing uh, loud and clear in the context of uh, of L and D here, Debbie, is that whilst um, a lot of L and D budgets are notoriously low, it's not good enough to produce something. And then when someone says, "Well, it's, mm, it's not quite consumer grade," it's not good enough to be saying, "Well, it's all we could afford." No. Like it's you know there there is no it's. It's okay because that's that's all we've got. It has it has actually got to meet expectations. And Miles Runham, uh, on the, again on an earlier podcast, he said that people's um, expectations, digital expectations, are based on their last digital experience, yep. which is likely to have been on their phone or, yep, uh, on their or, or personal. Or, yeah. yeah. So it, it it is hard, um, and that's why I would only advocate for small games done well, small mm. metrics. You know, I, I've, I've, there are a number of large companies out there delivering um, these these games that supposedly look like Fortnite, and they they have the the avatars and they have the, you know, those custom things. But 
when you dig into them, the gameplay is awful. You know, it's yeah. truly dreadful. Um, and you know, no amount of making an avatar look cool will, will translate well into a, a learning experience. If actually the learning's rubbish, people will yeah. just see it for what it is, and you won't be able to con them. But you can make. You know, you, there's some great indie games developers out there, some absolutely amazing people who are truly creative. And if you can work with them and, and help them understand from a learning perspective what you're trying to get, um, and you, know, you have this true partnership between the, the game maker, the, the learning professional, and the business owner, or the, you know, the, the person that owns the, owns the problem. And that is a genuine three-way partnership and that, that no one or the other is, is kind of going, well, learning has to be, be topper here, or game has to be top, or business has to be top. You, know, you, you have to go toe-to-toe in some of those meetings mm. with, with those other people to sort of say, actually, no. And, and some of the best things I've ever done have come out of massive arguments. <laughs> <laughs> absolute stand-ups where you know we, we've had these these really heated debates about you know well that if we do that that's going to compromise that and if we do that that'll do that and you know we've always managed to reach not not even a compromise compromise is the wrong word but we've managed to reach a solution which is better than any of the ones that the three of us individually was ever presenting so mm. that that real equity and and respect between each of those people's knowledge and understanding and expertise without one person feeling like you know that that they don't bring as much to the table as the other is is really important mm. um as we come to uh, to the end of uh, of the conversation debbie um i think it's a reality that l d people are creative they like to to try new stuff they like to create stuff um and maybe drawn towards creating games now you've described some of them already but what should the listener know before they do get involved in building a game uh, and what are some of the uh, the pitfalls that you would um, you would advise um, perhaps more of a novice um, uh, of before they get involved okay so uh, a lot of the advice I would give goes back to the sort of the earlier part of this conversation which is about making sure that you are not being just asked to, to deliver a game that you genuinely mm. understand what that game needs to do um, and to very, very early on engage with your learners. And so to present to them your, if you, if you even after looking at the business objectives, you think it could be a game, you want to give a game a go, sit down with them and go, you know, what do you think about this? You know, anybody got any ideas? What, you know, and have that real early engagement and then test that hypothesis. Could is, is a game the only way of dealing with this effectively or could you do it in another way which was more cost effective, better for the learner, um, you know, it's something that you've already done before, something that you could reuse, something you could remodel. I'm not saying that games are should be your last resort and I don't want you to think that that's what I'm trying to say. What I am trying to say is that games only service a particular need and you have to be certain that that need is something that you've actually got or that it's something that you want to invest in because quite frankly they take a lot more time than an ordinary piece of learning particularly if mm. they're custom built um, it's very tempting to go and think that you've identified a need and that you can go and pick something off a shelf that somebody's already produced but what I would say is that nobody knows your learners like your own learners so mm. what might be right for one group of learners in one particular company environment may not be right for another so getting that um, user, learner, player, profile, 
right from the start, looking at personas. What do you expect if, you know, if 65-year-old John who's retiring is being forced to learn GDPR, what's he going to want to know versus what's 19-year-old mm. Beverly who's sat on a phone going to know? And have a look at those personas and test your idea, test your game against those personas. Um, the, the pitfalls are trying to solutioneer too early. The pitfalls yeah. are buying off the shelf if you're not entirely convinced that the the off-the-shelf offering will deliver on the majority of your needs and don't let people who don't play games go buying stuff <laughs> yeah <laughs> you know? Good point. You know, people think they know games games are incredibly complex incredibly yeah. complex and very cleverly written the games industry is so far ahead of the learning design industry in terms of technology approach psychometrics all of that stuff they know their players and they engage with their players and if you mm. want to be good in the learning games markets you have to be equally as good if not better than than they are because otherwise the, the playing experience will just not be great i think you've also got to look out for the ikea effect as well uh, which is when you're involved in building something you kind of see it in rose tinted glasses yeah. uh, and i have been shown some uh less than desirable examples of games from people who are incredibly proud to have got their hands dirty in building them but mm, good lord i yeah they were not good examples of games or learning and um, so the ikea effect yeah uh, like, like that dodgy cupboard that you've uh, that you've built <laughs> and you're very proud of is uh is perhaps not the best example of said furniture and you know the one other thing that games do that we don't tend to do in learning is that, that they iterate and they improve games yeah games regularly release what they call patches so mm. they will, there will be things that people have identified through playing that don't work, don't work as expected, could be done better. So within two or three months, the game releases a patch, which fixes all of those. We don't do that mm. in learning. We no. just, we, we build it, we send it out, people use it, people don't use it, we take it in. You know, so that constant measurement, that constant iteration, that looking at the data that's coming out, are, what's the drop-off rate? Are people playing it for three days and then never touch it again? Are they playing it on Saturday nights because it's so engaging that they actually want to do it when they get home? You know, so looking at, at those kind of data and going, right, okay, so why are people not playing it after day three? What was happening on day three? You know, the, you know, was... You know, oh, everybody went home for the day. That's why. You know, so so actually looking at that data really intelligently in real time. I always build real time data into any of the games that I that I build, so I can go in at any point in time and look at my dashboard and go, "What's happening today? What? Why? Mm. Why is no one playing it? Or why is everybody playing it in the afternoon?" So and and then to release those patches to to listen to your learners and go, "Okay, so yeah, that didn't quite work as expected, but this this one's better. This this one mm. you know will help." So it's a constant iterative practice. This is not a SCORM file. You do not just upload this and walk away and say, yep, my job here is done. You know, yeah. it's, it's a real investment from a learner's perspective and from a company's perspective, which is why I'd probably only advocate it for large companies. And what you described is just sounds digital competence. Yep. You know, it's again, it's, you know, there's, uh, there's, there's a bit of naivety in learning and development around uh, buy and launch um, uh, approaches, but, but, having digital competence isn't about that it's about everything we discussed it's about data it's about understanding um people what what it is that they're trying to do and all of this stuff but it, it's not a provision it's not an offering and it's not delivery no. it is much more sophisticated and can have much bigger impact now going back to uh to, to um uh, uh game learning 
Um, if people do want to know more about game design, uh, where would you recommend they go? That's a really tricky one. Um, and I would, there are some great people out there and there are some really good academic sources and I would always advocate, you know, I come from a, a kind of an academic background, I would always advocate mm. going and looking first at the theory. So we wider games work. Um, Carl Kapp is a very, very well-known um, games guru, if you if you want, a, want of a better word. He's got some great ideas, some really interesting ideas and some things that can be really quickly implemented in if you want to dabble so i would always mm. say say look look at carl's stuff and and have a double really know your stuff and play some games yeah. go play some games go and do some games if you have to sit over your your nine-year-old shoulder and watch what he does when he's playing Fortnite. watch why he stays there for nine hours playing <laughs> Fortnite. then do it and get yourself you know into something that that's kind of outside of your comfort zone go and play final fantasy 14 online and go and have mm. a look at, at how it works and and look at how you're taught to learn in the game so really understand it or go and find yourself a great indie games company if you are a learning professional we can't expect everybody to have this weird kind of dual passion that, that i've got which is you know around sort of games and and learning and but if learning is your passion go and find somebody whose passion is games and spend mm. time talking to them there are some amazing indie games companies out there and you know the, the one that i've just spent my time working with recently has been incredible and you know they understand business they understand games they understand game mechanics really well and, and having those stand-up toe-to-toe debates with them um, about how the two things can meld is really interesting Brilliant. Uh, and Deb, Debbie, finally, um, if the listener wants to connect with you, uh, perhaps on social, how can they do so? Um, I'm very, very easily searchable on LinkedIn. They're always happy to talk games with anybody, always happy to talk learning with anybody. So please don't hesitate. Don't feel that, you know, that any approach will, will, will not be welcome because it absolutely will. So if, if anything I've said makes you kind of want to want to pick up the phone or talk to me about it further, then please, please just do so because I would love to talk to you. Fabulous. Uh, I'm sure that there'll be many uh, who take you up on that. But, uh, but for now, Debbie, thank you very much for being a guest on the Learning and Development Podcast. Thank you very much. I really enjoyed myself.